Well, before we begin studying together, let's let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Every time we come to the portion on Karach and we have to deal with issues of rebellion and issues of leadership and holiness and all of that, I ask myself, what's a fresh way of looking at this? And so I, I, I want to share with you some, some thoughts I have from having looked at Karach and, and as well looked at the Shah readings for this week, and I think our cantor, Aaron Jacobs, who also leads the whole Torah service ministry and the coordination of readings, which we publish every year from our Torah, Haf Torah, and Bret Hadashah readings. And so we have not only the traditional readings from uh, the first five books of Moses and the Haf Torah readings, which run in parallel and often are from either the prophets or from the other writings in the Tanakh. But we also have readings from the Brit Hadashah, from the New Covenant scriptures, which amplify and even elevate the, the teachings from the other readings. And so Aaron Jacobs puts those together, and so Aaron, you're doing a great job on those. I just wanna thank you for that. And I know for rabbis and, and leadership, especially uh, for those who are going through hard times where there's division or there's difficulty, sometimes Korach is one of those uh, passages where it's like, oh, this is speaking to the conflict and the disasters that we're going through. We're not really going through any disasters right now in the congregation. It's a good period. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful time, even though there are many challenges and there are always challenges. But you, you might notice that Rabbi Yuri and I often are speaking about a, a theme which is serving the Lord, serving in ministry in the congregation and the importance of that. It's not enough just to be a member of a congregation but to serve within the congregation is very important. And when I think about that, it, it gives me a framework that we're all called to serve with what we have. And let's say that phrase, with what we have. We serve with what we have. We serve with all of our hearts, right? Everyone here have a heart? Yeah. We serve with all of our minds. Everyone have a mind? Yeah. We serve with, with all of our strength, our, our bodies, and with all of our understanding. All that we have, all the resources that we have, we serve with our finances, we serve with our time, we serve with our prayer, we serve actually with our attitudes as well. When we bring a good attitude to the Lord, an attitude of humility and an attitude of gratefulness, an attitude of cheerfulness and thanksgiving, this is, this is part of how we serve the Lord. It's not just going through the motions, and it's not just a matter of believing the right things, 
But we're called to live a life of faith and a life of faithfulness with the Lord. And so I want that to to help us as we're looking through this passage. And we're not going to spend too much time today on the story of Karach. If you are not familiar with this week's Torah passage from uh, Numbers, starting in chapter 16, verse 1, and going through chapter 18, verse 32, I encourage you to become familiar. It's It's a very important passage and there's a lot to learn. One of the important um, plot aspects of this Torah reading is that Karah, who is appointed into the priesthood, isn't satisfied with that. And he actually is unhappy with Moses being the leader. And under the guise of saying everyone's holy, it really means that Karach is saying, side with me against Moses. And Moses in his humility understands that this is not just a personal conflict or something like that, but that Karach actually isn't honoring the Lord and needs to get some things right with the Lord. And so it's a, it's a big challenge because in Karach's rebellion, In his own heart, what he's saying is, what I have isn't enough. What God has given me isn't enough. I should have what you have. And in fact, I want to take what you have. That's his attitude toward Moses. And then I'll have enough. And that that can be not just rebellion, but that can be universal. We can all have this attitude that says, I don't have enough in order to do what I feel I should be doing or what I could be doing. <clears throat> Sometimes people say uh, this about money. If I had more money, then I would. If, if I had a million dollars, then I'd, then I'd tithe. If I have, then I could tithe a lot of money. Well, I say, tithe on what you have. Tithing is actually interesting because it's a reflection of what God has already done. And so when we're tithing, we're saying to the Lord, thank you for what you've already done. And the Lord has a principle, which is if you're faithful with a little, he'll trust you with more. If you're faithful with what belongs to another, he'll give you your own. So there are some principles here that are, that are important, but I don't want to just think about Karach and and, uh, parallel scriptures as being um, criticisms of people who fall short or or for others who are blatantly wrong, but I think it's always good for us to look at these passages and take them to heart and apply them to ourselves. And in what way am I saying, even to the Lord or to myself, well, I'll start doing good later, but I don't have enough to do with what I already have. What I have isn't enough. And there's a similar view, what I have isn't enough, that's why I can't do anything. And I would encourage you, if you want to have a closer walk with God, start with where you are and bring that to the Lord and say, you know, with what I've got, with what, the, what time I have, with what finances I have, with what energy I have, with what gifts and skills I have, I'm gonna serve you, and I'm gonna do it with gusto. That means that even while you're learning, 
you can be serving. Even when you're a novice, you can be serving. Now, Yeshua's teaching is really interesting, and, and the stories are very interesting in Luke chapter 18 and chapter 19, but I want to look at just one passage from Luke 19, starting in verse 11. And as well, I would comment that it's good to know the context as well and to be familiar with what's happened beforehand and how Yeshua has gone to, um, to be with sinners and not all of the holy people like that. And yet, that is just a symptom that sometimes holy people don't like anything God's doing. They like what they're doing, but they don't like what God's doing because their heart is not necessarily. I'm saying this about holy people. I'm saying this about religious people. I'm saying this about spiritual people. Sometimes our, heart, our hearts become misguided. And the most important things that God values may be, become unimportant to us. So starting in Luke 19, verse 11, while they were listening to this, Yeshua went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear at any moment and therefore he said a nobleman went to a country far away to have himself crowned king and then to return. Now another translation puts it this way. So Yeshua said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to lay claim to his kingship and then to return. And this, this idea would be understandable to people at the time because the kings of the, the vassal states under the Roman Empire would go to Caesar in order to have their rulership confirmed and then they would come back and it's not just them saying I'm king, but the power of Caesar is behind them. So it would be understandable to all those folks who were listening. But this, this was a nobleman who went to have himself crowned. But he's not going on his own initiative. He already is in line to become king. And so he's moving forth then Karach, who's not moving forth in his high priesthood because he was called to be a priest but he wasn't called to the high priesthood, do you understand? And Karach was trying to lay claim to what wasn't his. And that's why Moses says to him, you weren't even satisfied with being appointed to the priesthood. You're trying to take the high priesthood for yourself. And you know what the word for priesthood is in Hebrew? It's such a funny word, you think it's Hawaiian. It's kahuna. Yeah, and you've heard big kahuna? Yeah, that's borrowed somehow. I think. So it's like Moses is saying to Karach, it's not enough that you're one of the Kohanim, you want to be the big kahuna. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Okay, back to Luke 19. A nobleman went to a country, or he went to the distant country to lay claim to his kingship and then return. Verse 13, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 manim, a mana in, in the commentary is about three months wages. So think about how much money you make in three months and ask if someone entrusted that amount to you, uh, would that be 
a significant amount. Yeah, sure. And he said to them, do business with this while I'm away. Now, as we're reading in Luke 19, I want you to recognize that Yeshua told a number of parables with this theme of the master entrusting resources, money or his vineyard or so forth to his servants to take care of, to invest and to multiply while he's away on a journey. But the details in this one, in Luke 19, are different than the details of Matthew 25. And so as you're reading this passage, pay attention to the details that are in this passage because in your mind you may be skipping over some things because many people are more familiar with the Matthew 25 passage than they are with the Luke 19 passage. This one has some specific details that make it different, so pay attention, don't mix them up. Uh, Matthew 25 is interesting also, but it is different. So back to Luke 19. It, it moves on in verse 14 and it says this, but his countrymen hated him and they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to rule over us. Now note these two details. Number one, his countrymen hated him. And number two, they sent a delegation after him. Now what is a delegation? Everyone should have that clear in their mind. It's a small group of people that's sent to represent a larger group of people. And the delegation went to the ones who would crown this nobleman as king over them. So they really are in protest. Do you get that? That's why there is a similarity to this passage and the passage of Karach. Um, they're unhappy. Karach was unhappy with Moses. And in this case, in this story, these unnamed people, uh, they're not given any particular names. Um, they're unhappy. And so the delegation is going to the one who's gonna crown this nobleman. And they have a message. The message is really clear, it's succinct in one, one sentence. We don't want this man to rule over us. So you know what that means. They're going to protest so that the person who's going to actually decide to, to appoint this one king will hear the protest and say, okay, I'm not gonna do it. I'm, this guy's not that popular. I'm going to uh, heed the voice of the people. And this is similar to Karach's attitude. We don't want him to rule over us. Karach didn't want Moses. He actually didn't want the Lord, and you'll see the parallel. We don't want him to have what we want for ourselves. That's really what they're saying. We want to rule over us, and some of the most vocal ones are saying, we want to be in charge. We don't want him to be in charge. We don't like him. Verse 15, Yeshua's parable continues, however, say that one word with me, however, he returned having been made king. So you know what that means. The delegation failed. And he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money to find out what each one had earned in his business dealings. So not only was the delegation unsuccessful, the group that sent the delegation didn't get what they wanted. 
Now the first one, the first one of the servants came in and said, sir, your mana has earned 10 more manim. And the king says, excellent. You're a good servant because you've been trustworthy in a small matter, I'm putting you in charge of 10 towns. In other words, I gave you a pretty big chunk of money, but it's small in a kingdom. It may have been a lot to you, but in terms of a whole land, it wasn't very much. But you were small with some money, so now I'm gonna put you in charge of 10 cities. Wow. The second one came and said, sir, your manez earned five more manim. And to this one he said, you'll be in charge of 10 towns. Then another one came in and said, sir, here's, your money. I kept it hidden in a piece of cloth because I was afraid of you. You take out what you didn't put in and you harvest what you didn't plant. And so here, you can have it back. You gave it to me. It wasn't enough. It scared me. So in one way, this this guy is saying, well, what I had wasn't enough because you're so demanding. And so what I did is I hid it. Uh, and you can have it back. So he gives it back. And so this really thickens the plot, if you will. And to him, the master said, remember, Yeshua is just telling the story without all these comments. He's just telling us a simple story. And he says, the master said, you wicked servant, I'll judge you by your own words. So you know, you knew, did you, <coughs> that I was a severe man, taking out what I didn't put in and harvesting what I didn't plant? Now, do you see this character is not making excuses. He's not trying to uh, win this person. He's not trying to say, um, Oh, gee, I, I, you were intimidated and you have a low self-image. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were such a tender little blossom. <laughs> no, he just says to him, so you knew what I was like and you still had the audacity to do nothing with what I gave you? Why didn't you at least put my money in the bank? And then when I returned, I would have gotten it back with interest. If you were afraid uh, that you would lose it, put it somewhere safe, but at least get some interest. Invest it somewhere. To those standing by, he said, take the mana from him. Give it to the one with ten manim. They said to him, sir, he already has ten manim. But the master, so this is really clear. Give what he had to this other one who has. And said, but he's already got 10. But the master said, I tell you, everyone who has something will be given more. But from anyone who has nothing, even what he does have will be taken away. Now, everyone who has something, I think, what that means is everyone who has something to show for his efforts, everyone who has done something with what's been entrusted to him, his, his gifts, his talents, his finances, etc. 
everyone who has some fruit, everyone who used what he had been given and produced something. I think that's what he's saying. And the second part is also important, uh, from anyone who has nothing. I, I think that means everyone who has nothing to show for his efforts, everyone who brought no gain from what he had been given, everyone who says, well, I didn't have enough, or this was too risky, or it's too hard, or you're too demanding, you didn't give me enough, enough resources, enough security. Verse 27, however, say that again with me, however, see the connection? This goes right back to the previous however. As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be their king, bring them here and execute them in my presence. Now, if, if you have this picture of sweet Jesus who's always you know, just being nice to everybody about everything, this may not fit in, and this may be why you don't, you know, why Luke 19's version is not all that popular, because a lot of people like sweet Jesus. Yeah, yeah, like sweet baby. Yeah, rockabye Jesus. But this is someone telling a tough story, isn't it? It's a provocative story. It's a challenging story. And he makes this interesting comment. As for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, he's speaking to the heart condition to the attitude, they were opposed. The, the heart condition and the attitude of Karach and his rebellion was identical. Do you see this connection? It's, it's not just a matter of going through the motions. Getting our hearts right is also important. And uh, in this story, this, this newly crowned king is, is saying, I see that you don't want me to be king. Okay, well, here's the plan. I won't be your king because you will be, you'll be dead. And that's the way the Romans did things, incidentally. They came into uh, territory, and if you didn't bow down to the Roman authority, you were typically killed. And the whole idea of crucifixion was to torture publicly people in order to intimidate them to rule by force. Now having said all of this, this can be understood at a lot of different levels because it could be understood within the religious level and with the national level, but also at the governmental level there's, there's some understanding. Yeshua is saying some provocative things here. Now, after saying this, Yeshua went on and he began the ascent to Jerusalem. So he says all this and he leaves. He does not even stick around to see how people react to the story. <clears throat> and it's, it's not a time for that, that kind of moment where the disciples, you know, they're talking to each other. It's like, wait a minute, what? Did you hear what he just said? What did he mean? What could he have possibly meant? What kind of story was that? <clears throat> so there's no dialogue. It's just punch. Whew. 
And in the same way, the story of Karach is sort of presented where we have to say, oh, if, if you think of God as being this bearded, jolly grandfather, you know, ho, ho, sort of a, uh, a pre-incarnation of Santa Claus or something, you're like, ho, 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 I love you all. <laughs> then the story of Karach is a story that doesn't fit into you know, a happy bearded, jolly God. Because sometimes God exercises his authority in ways that are severe. Even though it's important to know God will always use the minimum force that's possible to accomplish anything. Well, stories like this can be understood in different ways and we can use them to judge other people. So we can use these stories in order to look at other people who, who don't believe in Yeshua and say, ah, they're, you know, they're going to hell. This is God's great plan. The scripture does say, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son so that none should perish, right? So we know that it's not God's plan to condemn people, that's not his goal. His goal is that people would welcome his kingship and thus learn his love and learn his ways and to learn to, to love in God's ways. So we can, we can use a story like this to judge other people, but I think it's a limited view and it won't, um, it won't make the stories all that useful to us. Another way to understand them is to apply them to ourselves. And when we do that, we actually learn to ask deeper questions, such as what are the ways I'm being fruitful with what the Lord has given me? And are there any areas in my life that I'm saying are not enough to use productively for the Lord? Am I, have I put things on hold or have I ignored things that the Lord wants me to deal with? For instance, have I said, well, I don't know how to do this thing that he's put in front of me perfectly, so I'm gonna do nothing because I don't wanna fail. That would be an example of having the same kind of attitude. Or covetousness or envy or jealousy that says, well, why is he or why is she in this elevated position? It should be me. And what can I do in this position, this low position I'm in? That same attitude can, can actually create difficulties. So this raises an important, but I think a sometimes neglected understanding of what the Lord is looking for. It's important to him that we're fruitful and that we're productive with our God-given gifts, our talents, and any resources the Lord has provided for us. And it's important that we're not coveting what other people have been entrusted because actually they have more responsibility. The more you've been entrusted with, the more you're responsible for. And some people actually don't want the responsibility. The willingness, the desire to be productive for the Lord is an indication of our heart attitude to him as Lord. When we say, Lord, what you've given me now is what I want to be productive with. The relationship, the marriage, the children, the job, the finances, the ministry. If, if you think the ministry 
that someone else is doing is more important. And if you were doing that ministry, you'd be more important. I would say to you, that attitude won't really help you. Be faithful with the ministry you have. God will raise you up as you're bearing fruit. Everything you do becomes important, even if the thing itself is not obviously important. In fact, the things that bring visible honor may be the least important things. The hidden things may be more important. Eric Painter right now is having gallbladder problems. But you can look at him and you can't see his gallbladder. But I can tell you he can feel it. The hidden organs in our body that often are neglected or get no attention, these are really important things. And when something's wrong, by golly, you start paying attention. Well, in the same way, the Lord teaches us, pay attention to ministry, to service, to people who are maybe not so high up and not so prominent, but they're faithful in what they do. They bring good fruit from what they do. They take care of everything that's been assigned to them with gusto, with joy, with cheerfulness. And you might say, well, how do I even find those people that are not so visible? Ah, that's the challenge. Keep your eyes open. Come early and you'll see those people at work. Come on other days, you'll see them at work. Come and see them putting other efforts in. So living the life of faith with this in mind will keep us motivated to bring forth good fruit. And I know this, I wanna be a tree that brings forth good fruit for the Lord. How about you? Don't you wanna be like that? I don't wanna say, not now, four months later. Not now, four years later. Not now, 40 years later. Because I probably don't have 40 more years. I've already lived a, a, a full life. I'm not finished with my life. I mean, I've got more years. I just don't think I have 40, because you know, I'm in my 60s, whatever. Though my grandmother lived to be 104 or five, and uh, when she turned 99, we had her 100th birthday celebration because the family didn't think she would make it to her 100th. And she just kept going and kept going and kept going. <laughs> so you never know how long you're gonna live. But in any case, I wanna have a good attitude. I wanna say to the Lord, I wanna be fruitful. It's important that I keep being fruitful. Don't you wanna have that same attitude? I wanna be fruitful in new ways. I wanna bring forth new fruit I have to tell you one story, it's just a funny story and then I'll close in prayer. It may seem unrelated, but it was a joy and it just came to mind again. You know, we have a lot of mangoes here in Florida and uh, sometimes we have those champagne mangoes or the honey mangoes, you know, that are small and sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're just not so good. Sometimes the mangoes don't ripen right, whatever. Well. On our vacation, I went to a store that had mangoes from Cote d'Ivoire in Africa. Yeah. 
And I knew about this, because I had had one once. And I went to the produce section where they had these packaged mangoes from Cote d'Ivoire. And I looked at them, and I looked at the price, and it was like, I've never paid that much for five mangoes. But I, I can tell you, these are delicacies. And so I decided I'm going to buy one. You know, it's our 42nd anniversary. We're celebrating, so I'm going to buy a mango. And, and so with all my other groceries, I, I took it to the cash register and, the cashier, you know, he scanned the barcode and it came up nothing. And so he looked at the barcode number and he entered it in manually and it still wouldn't give a price. And so he called the produce section and said, what's the price? And they said, we don't know. And so he then asked me, do you remember what the price was? And I said, well, yeah, I think. And it was like five bucks, you know, for a mango. And you can get five mangoes for five bucks, right? <clears throat> you can get even more for 10. You can get 20, for, you know, if you buy them by the box, whatever. So I said, I think it was like five something. And he says, it's free today. And I, I didn't even want to touch it, you know, it's like, it's a treasure, it's precious. Well, I received it as a gift. Yeah, a little mango. And I took that home and I took pictures of it. Because it was so beautiful. And then we ate it. And it was like, I know there will be mangoes in heaven now. It was intoxicatingly good for a fruit. It was so delicious and it was free. And so what I thought was gonna cost me a lot for a mango cost me nothing. It was a little gift, isn't that funny? And so I, I just wanna tell you because I think the Lord gave me a little gift of a mango that was delicious. And sometimes if you just discover the delights of what God provides for you and you're thankful for that and you appreciate it, I may never have another mango like that the rest of my life, but I will remember forever this mango. And it wasn't because it was $100 or $1,000 or a million dollars. It was a mango. That's all it was but what a treat it was. And I, I wanna enjoy the fruit that God gives, and I wanna produce fruit for him. Such good fruit inspires spiritual fruit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the sweet life that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for showing good care for us, and thank you for giving us the time and the opportunity and the experiences to take notice of what you do provide and to be thankful for that. We want to have hearts that are truly dedicated to you, that love you, to serve you, and to bring forth good fruit for you. And we pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.
Well, we're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and bring you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.